This autumn sermon series is called The Wizard of Uz, about a man named Job from the land of Uz. I'm preaching from Job chapter 40 this morning. This is one of the strangest and therefore one of my favorite passages in the Hebrew Bible. God is speaking. God is speaking to Job. God says, look at Behemoth, which I made just as I made you, Job. It eats grass like an ox. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like bars of iron. It is the first of the great acts of God. Only its maker can approach it with the sword. For the mountains yield food for it, where all the wild animals play. Under the lotus plants it lies in the covert of the reeds in the marsh. The lotus trees cover it for shade. The willows of the wadi surround it. Even if the river is turbulent, it is not frightened. It is confident, though the Jordan rush into its mouth. Can one take it with hooks or pierce its nose with a snare? Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The uh, Presbyterian Church has a mission hospital in Zambia on the banks of the Zambezi River, not far from Victoria Falls. And when I was serving my Grand Rapids Church, I had the chance to accompany a mission trip of people who went there to construct a clinic on the hospital grounds. And so we worked all week building this clinic, and we were very proud of ourselves. And at the end of the week, we decided to reward ourselves with a whitewater rafting trip down the Zambezi, which puts in at the base of Victoria Falls, covered in spray, and then you ride the rapids down the river, world-class rapids. And I was so excited to be doing this uh, until I sat down for the hour-long class they make you take before they put you on a raft. Now, it turns out they're not worried you're going to drown. They give you a life jacket to keep you afloat, and they give you a helmet so you don't bash your head against the rocks, But as far as the crocodiles and the hippos are concerned, they can't do much about that. As far as I'm concerned, the class boiled down to, well, we'll try to help you out, but if you meet a croc or a hippo, you're on your own. We'll try to save you, but good luck with that. And then they told us that in Africa, hippos kill more people than automobiles. That turns out not to be the case. They were just trying to scare us, but it worked. So what does all that have to do with the book of Job in the Hebrew Bible? I'm glad you asked. Throughout this book which bears his name, this innocent man Job has been badgering God for an explanation as to why he, Job, an innocent man, is the laughingstock of the ancient Near East. And so far God has not said a word. God talks to Satan, but God hasn't said anything to Job or to Job's friends. And finally, near the end of the book, in chapter 38, God finally obliges Job and gives a a defense. God tries to show Job that the universe is not the ramshackle house Job imagines it is. And so to defend God's self, God pulls out not uh, puppy dogs or sunset, not examples of the beauty and the order of creation. Rather, God gives Job, Behemoth, and Leviathan. 
in the mythology of the ancient Near East among the peoples of Canaan and Egypt and Babylon, Behemoth and Leviathan were monsters who symbolized the primordial powers of chaos which were always threatening to undo God's beautiful and orderly world. Behemoth and Leviathan functioned for the ancients just like Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers function for us. These, these examples of chaos and evil invading our otherwise good world. And Behemoth, of course, is the hippopotamus which mucks about among the reeds of the Nile River. Now don't laugh. It's true. The hippo is an herbivore. It doesn't want to eat you like a tiger or a wolf. As the Bible helpfully points out, the hippo, the behemoth, eats grass like the ox. And yet in Africa, the hippo strikes more fear in human hearts than black mambas and lions. It's one of God's oddest accomplishments. It's 11 feet long, 5 feet high, it weighs 3,000 pounds, and it, it is, of course, an aquatic animal. Now, I bet you wish you, you had my job, right? I bet you wish you could sit around all week and read National Geographic and learn new things. I, I learned this week that the, the behemoth, the hippopotamus, is an aquatic animal, but it can't even swim. It doesn't even float. The Bible points out that the bones are made of iron and the limbs of bronze, and so it sleeps underwater. It's actually, you know, the closest living relative in the animal kingdom are not cattle or elephants. It's whales and dolphins. Hippopotamuses are almost cetaceans. So they sleep underwater. And they rise to the surface every five minutes for air. And then they sink back down to the bottom without waking up. By the way, do you know what the collective noun for a group of hippos is? A group of hippos is called a bloat. Isn't that wonderful? I love the English language. But you can see God's point in God's speech here, right? When God pulls out Behemoth, the hippo, as exhibit A in God's defense of God's management of the universe, God is saying to Job, look, this is my creation too. These ugly beasts are my creation. They're my children. Job, this universe was not made for you. I did not engineer this universe for your thriving. I love you. You're welcome here, but it's not for you. These creatures are not my enemies. They're my children as well. In other words, God's not a micromanager. God steps back to let the creation be, to let it change and grow and develop on its own. God wants not only free human beings, but free rocks, free salamanders, free electrons even. God wants the winds free to blow and the tectonic plates free to heave against each other, the microbes free even to invade the bloodstream. God doesn't want a machine. God wants a drama. And to get this exciting, unexpected drama, God creates a world where in a storm there might be 10 billion snowflakes and not two of them look alike. A world where there are, eight, get this, 8,500 species of sponges and a million species of insects. Where does this lust come from in our God? Lust for variety come from in our God. Nobody knows how many species of mollusks there are. It might be 50,000. It might be 200,000. Nobody knows. 
Nobody probably ever will. There are 20 quadrillion ants in the world. Their biomass outweighs all mammals and animals combined. And so I'm from the James Weldon Johnson School of Creation Theology. Then God stepped out on space. And God said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. And darkness covered everything blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. And then God smiled. And the light broke. And the darkness rolled up on one side and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. God snatched this infinitesimal singularity and for some reason, maybe just to see what happens, explodes it. And it keeps unfurling 93 billion light years across, 54 sextillion miles across, still unfurling. And at the right time, God shapes this Goldilocks rock and starts it spinning in orbit around a flaming star. And at the right time, after billions of years, God starts populating this Goldilocks rock with an improbable miscellany of leaping, flying, diving beasts. And don't you think even God was surprised when one of them turned out to be a pangolin or a norwal? Even God, God's self, couldn't have predicted that, and God's still smiling about it. So you won't fire me if I tell you that I love the Jurassic Park books and movies, will you? If you think about it, the Jurassic Park franchise is a fairly sophisticated exegesis of the speech from God that I read from Job a minute ago. So Ian Malcolm, remember Jeff Goldblum in the movies, Ian Malcolm is the mathematician who tries to convince the owners of Jurassic Park that you can't make a dinosaur safe. He says you can't make an animal and not expect it to act alive, to be unpredictable, to escape, he predicts. And he's right. They all do. They all escape, and there's chaos. He says the history of evolution is that life escapes all barriers. Life breaks free. Life expands to new territory. Life is unpredictable. Life, he says, finds a way. That's the way God made God's universe. Life finds a way. And so it's not safe, but it's very beautiful. When Job accuses God of mismanagement of the universe and God pulls out Behemoth, the hippo, as exhibit A in God's own self-defense, God is saying to Job, I didn't make this world for you. This is not engineered for your thriving. You're welcome here. But I love these other creatures too. And we get reminded of that every time school children get gunned down in Texas or Thailand. Bunch of you have homes in Fort Myers and Naples. And so last week, Katie and I called many of you to see how your homes were faring after Hurricane Ian. And with a couple of exceptions, we did fine. Our homes are fine. But almost to a person, the people we called said to Katie and me, please pray for our neighbors on Sanibel Island, for instance, because many of them live in trailer parks or in vulnerable homes. 
Many of them work in the tourist industry and they don't have the resources to repair the damage. And so every time something like Hurricane Ian happens, we get reminded that this world is very beautiful, but it's not for us. God loves us. We're welcome here. It's not for us. That's what Behemoth means in Job. So the world's not safe, but it is beautiful and it is God's. God steps back to let the creation be and to change and to grow. God throws rampant, garish color down every meadow and roils the oceans with gargantuan monsters diving down deep and speckles the infinite dark of the night with flame wherever you look and populates every muddy swamp with an improbable miscellany of living, breathing stuff. And at the end of the day, I hope my prayer will be, I was glad to be here in God's dangerous but beautiful world. I was glad to be here because life is gift and birth, windfall, and just to be here at all is a kind of sheer, unmerited privilege. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the name of the Father.